Welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Nathan. And we're both licensed professional counselors in Oregon, here to bridge the gap between therapists and clients. We are your companions on your journey to build your healthcare practice, yourself, and your relationships. To get you started, we've created a free email course on our website. Head over to shrinkthink.com forward slash podcast, where we've got practical steps on overcoming fear and anxiety. Thank you for joining us on the Shrink Think Podcast. I'm Kim Tolson. If you don't know me yet, I'm the person behind the Traveling Therapist podcast, which is part of the SciCraft network of podcasts. I am so proud to be part of this network along with Aaron and Nathan at ShrinkThink. If you haven't discovered the Traveling Therapist podcast, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. I'd love for you to join us as we explore the ins and outs of running a therapy practice while you travel the world. Be sure to check us out at thetravelingtherapist.com slash podcast for all the updates and lessons I'm learning as a traveling therapist and the adventures of other traveling therapists. Hey everyone, welcome to the Shrink Think Podcast. We have another exciting episode for you today. But this one, trigger warning, is about triggers. We're actually not going to trigger you, but we're going to be talking about triggers. And if you were not watching this on YouTube before, uh, go back and watch because there was a little bit of a (laughs) triggering that happened. So good thing we got that out of the way before we started recording this podcast episode. But today we actually want to talk about this kind of buzzword that people are throwing around. They're like, oh, I'm so triggered or like this happened and I'm triggered. Ah, you're looking down. I'm triggered. I'm <laughs> you're like, looking down. <laughs> like what's happening? <laughs> you're not gluing your eyes to my eyes. That triggers me. Like, what does that even mean? Do you even know what that means? <laughs> right. I'm hoping that, well, like we can like break down, like what are triggers? What's happening with triggers and what do you do about it? I think we should talk about the evolution of the word trigger. <laughs> it comes from the word trigonomic. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> trigonomic. <laughs> oh, man. So this was kind of your brainchild here. So like, where did this come from? And maybe we'll start talking about like, I have this thing that I like to tell people when they say like, oh, I'm triggered. And what do you do about it? And I'm like, wait a minute, let's back up first. And let's talk about what's actually happening when a trigger is is going on. And maybe we can kind of begin to differentiate too. like, is this an actual trigger or are you like having an emotion and calling (laughs) I'm triggered to feeling sad? I'm triggered to feeling uncomfortable. That's just called being a human being. (laughs) I think it's like, wait a minute. Are you feeling discomfort? And I don't like it. Stop triggering me to feel discomfort. <laughs> I totally hate that when I feel discomfort. It is one of those things, actually, that over the course of time, part of the why I was thinking about this is because there is a real issue here. And also, there's the word trigger, which I don't want. I was just joking. I'm not going over the evolution of the word trigger. But it kind of has diminished in its value. I mean, some people hear it and they're like, okay, don't care. So moving on, which is not helpful for somebody that actually does have PTSD. And they really are triggered about something. Right. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the corner, there are actual people being triggered. <laughs> right, right. So maybe we should start with what actually a trigger is. And also, I want to say the reason I'm bringing this entire thing up 
is because ultimately, and some of you are not going to like this, managing that that trigger and fixing it is the job of the person who is getting triggered. Wait, it's not your job to make me feel better all the time. <laughs> I want an ice cream cone. Nathan, will you please give me an ice cream cone? Be right back. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't. I'm triggered. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so in all seriousness, when people say that they're triggered, they they don't I don't think they really understand what's really happening. So I want to kind of lay that out here. I will usually say what is being triggered because a trigger means that something has happened and and I'll use a different phrase instead of triggered something from my past has been activated. Maybe it was like dormant or it was like residing somewhere in my body or whatever. It was somewhere and now it's being activated in me as though that past thing is now presently happening. And I'm experiencing all of the symptoms and body sensations, maybe like flashbacks, memories that are, I guess, attributed to that memory or that thing. And so that past thing is being triggered or activated in me. And now I am dysregulated. My nervous system is dysregulated. That's what a trigger actually is. So maybe think about it like this, just in oversimplistic terms, something really bad happens to you. And in, in when that happens, this little light switch gets built, and that light switch is, has connection to your entire body. And then the bad thing kind of goes away, a time because of time, and that light switch is switched off. It's just off. But you don't know that it's there. You don't even know there is a switch. And you're doing your life, and all of a sudden, that switch, unbeknownst to you, just gets turned on. And it turns on every single feeling that your body had five years ago when something bad happened and you don't know why (laughs) like when it first starts going you have no idea you don't even necessarily all the time have memory of everything that's going on your body just takes off like it was in the exact situation that was originally harmful it's it's as though your body was like a slingshot pulled back just like as far as it can go right and just waiting there (laughs) And then like five years later, that light switch goes off and gotcha. <laughs> there it is. I gotcha. I finally could release that. Oh my gosh. We should have trigger warning. <laughs> I did at the very beginning. <laughs> yeah, that's right. This whole episode is a trigger, is a trigger the whole thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what I will tell, I will often tell people is, look, it's not your job. Like if you're the partner for somebody that has PTSD, it's not your job to manage their triggers. However. Don't be an a- like, <laughs> like, right, like exactly. The, like, well, it's not my job. I don't care about that. Because, yeah, because technically, donkeys. You know, we want to keep the explicit. Yeah. Don't be a this. donkey. The donkeys are not very polite and thoughtful about other people. So, don't be a donkey. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's well, don't worry about that. I mean, there's no kids listening to this. <laughs> I'm just they should, we, we, they should. We should start them young. <laughs> <laughs> They'll know everything. I'm just kidding. So, at any rate. When some kind of trigger is happening, and this is why I guess I started, I wanted to do this in the first place, is because there's become a thing where everybody's so afraid to, like, there is like this weird societal expectation, it seems like, for the people that are not triggered to literally manage the people that are triggered. Here's the problem. Therapeutically, you have to intentionally work against that trigger. You have to, you have to somehow manage it meaning like the person has to figure it out. And the reason why is there's this thing that I try to call, and I don't know if there's a specific name for it off the top of my head, but 
I kind of call it trigger migration, where what ends up happening is the more that you obey your fear from whatever it is that you're triggered by, you will just put yourself in an isolation box eventually. And as an example, maybe something bad happened to you in this room and inside this room that you were in. The weird thing about that room is it was this, there was a blue bed in it. It was a weird blue bed. And so bad things happened in there. And later in life, you're driving down the freeway and all of a sudden you're triggered by, by something. You don't know what it is. Anyways, you figure out like, oh, it's the, that car. That's what it is. It's the, the cars on the road that I don't like. But then we figure out, no, it's not the cars on the road. It's a particular color of the car on the road. Maybe a blue color. <laughs> yeah, right. So now, now you just need to not see that color, right? We just need to not do that. Take it out of the world. So now you need to ask your partner not to wear that particular shirt. And sign some legislation to ban it from the country. Yeah, but, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't see that coming, but I should I mean, if we're going to go all the way, <laughs> right, right, right. let's go to the top, baby. <laughs> let's take it out. Right. And so you find yourself in the situation where the other person is so fear avoidant, which makes sense. Who wants to be afraid? Like, why would you want to do that? But they get their entire group of people around them. To agree to protect them in this way, or to collude with the oh, fear. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. another word that I like to use. It's, it's like a better word, yeah. right? Because you're nobody wants to be uh, caught in collusion, right? You're colluding with the dysfunctional or um, hurt, damaged, uh, dysregulated part of this person, and you're saying it's okay to be that way. So imagine, you know, the, the reality of this is <laughs> some of you guys that are listening that have got you know, some PTSD about something. And honestly, you're not really doing anything about it. There's probably people in your life that are not inviting you to things just because they don't want to try to manage that for you. They just don't. Um, And what I would guess I would challenge you in is if you are in therapy, and your therapist is trying to get you to do XYZ, and it's too scary. I challenge you like, look, like just you're gonna have to bite the bullet, you can actually get through this because the only the real problem is, your body is programmed from something else that already happened. Your body just doesn't know it's over. That's really the end of the day. That's it. Your body thinks it's still happening. Because essentially that thing from the past is trying to suck you from the present out of the present to go back into the past to relive and replay that thing as though it is still happening. Like as though the past is right now, except it's not like bringing the past into the right now. It's leaving the right now. And going back into the past, which is a stuck place. Right. And we've talked about some of this before, um, and I guess maybe not all at once. And so the one thing I would add is your, your frontal lobe is the, is the part of your brain that like organizes data and everything. And so um, that part is actually disconnected because when everything happened, your body flooded, it was overwhelmed. That was the first part of your brain that was kicked out of the building but programming happened while that part was not programming. Mm-hmm. So, so it's unplugged from the front of your brain so that what's going on in the back can have a party and like, good, like they're not here. You know, <laughs> all the parents in the frontal lobe are not here. We can do whatever we want, man. Yeah. Now, like all that was programmed back there. Yeah. And actually, if you think about it, um, we connect to as people kind of um, frontal lobe to frontal lobe, really. And so like they like. 
my forehead to forehead. That's what we always do, Aaron. That's, I don't know why anybody else doesn't do that. That was a personal thing you didn't have to share with people. <laughs> <laughs> now it's awkward that everyone knows. <laughs> it's awkward. So it's interesting as I'm sitting here kind of thinking this out right now in this moment that when you are trying to get, uh, when, you're, when your frontal lobe is trying to kind of manage, because it will do it. Your frontal lobe will automatically try to figure things out. It does it without you thinking about it. So you, when it goes back and, and tries to access that information for whatever reason, like, oh, I need to understand what that color blue is. And it goes, you know, like all of a sudden it's like triggered a part of a neural network that's like, whoa, and it gets kicked out again. So then the frontal lobe goes, well, that sucks. What I've learned is blue is not good. So then as you're connecting frontal lobe to frontal lobe to your friends, you're going like, here's what my frontal lobe learned. Blue's not good. Your frontal lobe needs to make sure that you don't let my frontal lobe go around blue at all. And then my fear gets activated because I'm like, oh, no, I don't want to, like, upset you. And that's, like, scary because I see what's happening to you. I'm like, okay, I guess we'll just avoid blue together. (laughs) Yes. And in extreme cases, you can get what's called shared psychosis. Congratulations. This actually happens mainly to the elderly when something goes wrong. But if you collude so, so much that it's happening all the time, then I mean, you can literally feel the anxiety going into a room. It's like you start taking on the fear or taking on that problem of the other person. And the reality is, is you just can't do that. I mean, you're not you're you are not helping the other person if all you're doing is making sure that they're in a certain time and environment. Because one of us in the room has to like be grounded. One of us have to has to have some objectivity for what's going on. And lead the other person into that like safety and that objectivity. So, for example, if Nathan is the psycho with the uh, <laughs> the blue problem, <laughs> sorry, not a psycho. He's the um, weirdo. <laughs> What's a better term for this? I don't know. The person. <laughs> the person. Okay, we'll just go with the non-judgmental term. <laughs> That's a great idea. If he's the person with this like blue problem. Um, that song is like playing in my head now. Don't, don't, no, 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 no. I don't know what that song is. I'm blue and Okay. Uh, if he's the guy that's got this blue problem, I've got to be in the room that with him. And when he's like, ah, blue, you know, whatever. And I'm like, Nathan, there's nothing. I understand that you've got this issue and that was something from the past or whatever, but like, there's nothing wrong here. Everything's safe, right? Like, my tone of voice is normal. I can be sensitive and compassionate, but I don't have to make him feel something because that's his job. I can't regulate his body. I mean, maybe maybe I wrap around him and like give him a big hug, you know, and like, (laughs) you know, maybe that's what he needs. And that honestly can help sometimes. But that's not my job to regulate his body. He's got to do that for himself. But if I'm grounded and objective in the room, I can actually lead him into that by saying, hey, it's okay." And he's got now some other environmental information that he can use to challenge whatever is going on in his brain and his body that's saying, I'm feeling like there's something to be panicked about. But this dude that I know that I trust that is smart and he's doesn't have the same problem is telling me that everything's okay. So what am I going to believe? And he's now got a fork in the road where he can go back toward his fear or he can move out of it toward regulating himself. Yeah, I think as you're talking, I think we need to be in a way almost like more specific. And the reason why is because that you really, you really need a plan, like with the with the therapist. So and we are oh, nacho therapist, baby. So in, in light of that, 
if if your partner, for example, is going to therapy to work on this kind of stuff, you need to kind of, you need to know ultimately what the plan is. You need to know what it is that you're being asked to do or not do. Because in the beginning, especially when somebody doesn't really understand what's going on and they are experiencing the trigger, it's very confusing. They honestly, most people will think that they are actually going crazy. Um, that's the language they will use. And, and it is, it is very confusing. So you wouldn't want to take what Aaron and I are saying and then go like, well, it's it. Just suck it up, buttercup. Walk into the blue room, baby. <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> no, we're definitely not saying that. At least not as harshly. There might be a plan to get to a place where you are walking into the blue room, right? If you've got the fear of the blue room, like that might be the thing that you need to ultimately land in. Right. The idea is that you hold two things up at the same time. One, that this is really happening for this person. And two, that you're not going to collude with it, but you need to be respectful of it. And, and you are not their therapist. So like, we're not saying like, okay, you need to go do these things. Like you're not a part of the desensitization of what's going on. And, and actually there are cases in PTSD where they found that desensitization does not work in some cases. It actually is re-traumatizing. So that's why I'm saying like, and you don't know what those are. And by the way, we don't necessarily either because we are not working with the specific client right now. We're talking to the general public. So some people, um, when you're when we're talking about that whole subject, it has to be tailored essentially to the person. And I just want to be clear about that because because we're not saying that you need to go out there and just just basically push people into things and that kind of thing or not be respectful. There is a thing that happens though, and it and it's an, it's so annoying to me that you get somewhere a lot of, sometimes with people in therapy, and they kind of have kind of gone as far as they want to. They're basically too scared to go farther. And they have basic, they've put that out to their public, their, to their own social groups too. Everybody kind of knows it. And quite frankly, in some of these situations, the person's basically agreeing to be a victim of this. Maybe they're getting a lot of attention that way. Um, I guarantee you, if that's you, you're not, it's not what you want. I mean, that's not the kind of thing that you want because people are essentially putting up with that to be around you. I would just encourage you. Okay, you've already you're already with your therapist. You've got now a lot of people that are that are trying to like support you because they care about you. They're trying to respect the fact that you've got these different triggers that are going on. And by the way, sometimes you can't fix some of this stuff. Like that's the thing that sucks. That you can get into a situation where you just can't can't fix it. But you can isolate it down. You can isolate it way down to specific situations though. Instead of letting it go the other way where it starts to globalize your entire existence and you can't do anything. So I, I want to just kind of sneak in here a little bit just in the last couple of minutes that we've got of this episode and say we've been talking a lot about if you actually have a trigger, you know, like I think we're breaking it down right. and we're sharing about what that actually looks like, where it comes from, how you treat it, all that kind of stuff. And hopefully that's helpful for if that's you, you're like, oh, yeah, that's totally me. Maybe it encourages you to seek some professional help and work with somebody, a, a professional who's knowledgeable and skilled with trauma. And also, I want to sneak this other part in, which is kind of where we started off and joking about, right, which is if you're listening to this and you use that term all the time, like I'm triggered and you're like, yeah, I don't have any of those experiences with the blue room or any like a blue bed or nothing like that, <laughs> right? It's just I'm feeling uncomfortable or I'm feeling whatever the distress and it's not like linked to something like that. I think you need to stop using that word, right? You 
start using the I'm feeling this emotion, I'm feeling scared, or I'm feeling disappointed, I'm feeling uh, frustrated, annoyed, whatever the feeling is, increase your emotional vocabulary so that you can actually better identify what's happening for you, because that will actually help decrease the experience of it. Because essentially, if you're using the term I'm triggered, and to you, that's meaning all the stuff that we just got done talking about that really is not your experience, you actually might be magnifying your emotional experience into something that it's not. So by using the correct emotional vocabulary, you're correctly identifying what you're feeling, labeling those things, and that brings some like soothing and comfort to your system. And it shrinks it down to the size that it actually is. A lot of times you can have a, a flood of emotions about it, about something that you didn't expect to. That doesn't mean you were triggered, but it does mean that you might not have, might not be able to say anything. The, the problem with the trigger is it's pointing to something that is real, that definitely happened. And that's an event that has probably nothing to do with the current event that you're in. So the other thing too, is that if you, if you, if you do not change your language around this and you try to stay the same way, you're also kind of agreeing not to process that information. Because what you're saying is, I am not talking about this entire subject because it makes me feel a certain way. And you're not going to talk about how you feel either because you don't have to. You just kind of got out of it. You say you're triggered. Well, that's it. The other person's like, oh, I guess I can't talk about that. They're not going to probe on it because in our society, we do kind of know enough culturally to go like, mm, I really shouldn't press into that one. So now, you're just isolated inside that emotional state, which in all irony keeps you going the wrong direction because you're losing some human contact. So like Aaron's saying, develop some more emotional vocabulary over it. Try to, even if you have to take a moment, like, hey, I, I, I got to back up. I don't know what just happened. I'm, I don't know what I'm feeling. I'm feeling overwhelmed. Yeah. Maybe start there. Yeah. Then, okay. Then, 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 then you get space. People will check back in with you. Typically when that happens, they'll probably give you some space and they'll ask something later. So be mindful of this. We hope it's helpful. It's happening now. We're ending. Have a great day. Thanks for listening to our show. Don't forget to head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts to leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you never miss an episode. You can also visit our website at www.shrinkthinkpodcast.com forward slash course and sign up for our free email course, Nine Ways to Overcome Fear and Self-Doubt. And you'll get nine weeks worth of customized, practical strategies you can use to get past the fear that's holding you back in your life. Thanks again for listening. 